Welcome to the influence of monetary policy on aggregate demand section of macroeconomics. This is Dr. Terry Elin coming to you from home to wherever you are. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the economic ride. So the big goal behind this chapter is kind of twofold. It's to understand how monetary policy works. So understanding the monetary equilibrium and then knowing how it influences uh, the economy and how it could be used in times of recession. So what are the transmission mechanisms involved afterwards? So to understand this, we have to understand the monetary equilibrium. So in the monetary equilibrium, as in many other equilibriums, there is two curves. In this case, there is one that is vertical and there is one that is downward sloping. And the intersection between the two is the equilibrium point. And we'll understand why that is the equilibrium point in a sec. So what are we looking at? So let's just try to visualize it for a second here. We're going to have the interest rate be represented on the vertical axis and the quantity of money on the horizontal axis. So if we begin with the money supply, we have to ask yourself, well, is the amount of money in supply influenced by the interest rate? So if we think, what creates the amount of money in supply? Well, there's a several factors that happen that influence the amount of money in circulation. And one big part of it is how the central bank decides to print more money, issue more currency. So that has influence on the amount of money in circulation but that does not depend on interest rates. And then the other big aspect is uh, the level of money multiplying that the commercial banks do through the money multiplication process, which we have seen in the past. And if we think of that money multiplication process, well, generally speaking, the interest rate doesn't have an impact there. The, the big thing that has an impact on the money multiplying process is the reserve ratio. So if they change the reserve ratio, I agree that the money supply will change. The amount of money in circulation available will be different. But if we're looking at a certain reserve ratio and a certain amount of currency in circulation, well, neither of those change with the interest rates. Therefore, the money supply curve is a vertical line. So the quantity is seen as being fixed. By the Bank of Canada, yes, but commercial banks also have an impact there. Whereas when we think about money demand, uh, it's the amount of money that we want to have. So just keep in mind always your wealth, the amount of money that you control or that your savings, your total savings could be seen as either being in money or non-money assets. So the money side is what we're looking at here when we're talking about money demand, but there's also non-money assets. So if you put your money into uh, treasury bills, stocks, bonds, uh, buy land, whatever, those are all non-money assets. Mm -hmm. So if we think about this relationship once again on that same diagram with the quantity of money on the horizontal axis and interest rate on the vertical axis, well, naturally, the amount of money that's easily accessible, either as cash in your pockets or through your debit card, uh, will be less if the interest rates are really high. 
Imagine interest rates were like 50 or 100%. Even if you only had a few thousand dollars, you would try to generate interest with that few thousand dollars. You wouldn't keep it as cash and you wouldn't just keep it in your checking account receiving a few pennies a month on it. So you'd wanna generate some interest. So in that case, when interest rates are really high, you wish to have a very low amount of money as money assets. But the non-money assets, bonds, stocks, and anything else, that's where you're gonna put your savings, your wealth. So just see it this way, that you're always kind of splitting your amount of wealth that you have, your savings, in money assets and non-money assets. If interest rates are high, you'll keep most of your savings in non-money assets. And if they're low, well then you don't mind if interest rates were like 0.5% on bonds or anything else that you could save and try to generate some interest. Well, then it's, it's not as uh, useful for you to kind of do the extra effort of kind of switching your, your money out, knowing that in a few weeks you'll have to pay rent or you'll have to pay something else and you'll take, need to take that money out. If the amount of money that you generate is so low, the hassle might not be worth it. So you'll probably keep most of your savings or your wealth and just cash or cash equivalents. Uh, you won't buy bonds necessarily if they're only paying 0.5%. So that's the kind of situation that you have there. So if you think about it, then if I say, well, high interest rate, I want to keep as little money as possible and low interest rates, I could keep a lot. Well, that tells me that the relationship with interest rates is as interest rates go down, money demand goes up. So therefore it's a downward sloping money demand curve. And it's pretty easy when you think that most demand curves we see in economics are downward sloping. The only thing to remember here, as I just mentioned, is that the money supply curve is vertical. So it's upward sloping, yes, but it's completely vertical. It's not like uh, there's no, uh, it's, it's very, yeah, it's just a vertical line. So that's the situation that we have. And why do we keep a certain amount of money? Well, there, we keep the money uh, in terms of for transactions. So you keep money aside normally as money to, to be able to buy your groceries, to be able to pay for your daily transactions. And you also keep some of that money for precautionary reasons. So you don't want to put all your money in bonds and then uh, someone tells you like, hey, you want to go to this event? And you say, well, no, I, I have no money available right now. Like all of it's tied up. Or if your car breaks down, you don't want to have to kind of call your banker and wait 48 hours before your your assets get liquidated and then you could uh, repair your car. So you, you do keep money for transactions and precautionary reasons. And naturally, as the price level goes up or the cost of those goods go up, you might keep a larger amount. So maybe for you, you're, you're happy to keep like up to $500 in your bank account. And when you have more than that, you like to generate interest on it. And then someone else might be a, a, a larger amount. But we all have that kind of threshold amount uh, if you're managing your finance as well, where you decide to keep anything above that into an interest bearing account. So that's the situation that we have. Uh, we have an upward uh, straight vertical money supply and a downward sloping money demand. And where they meet is the equilibrium interest rate. Why isn't it where the interest rate is higher than that in intersection point? Well, it's just like any other supply and demand analysis. If it's higher than that, well, the money supply that you have versus what you want, 
is greater what you have. Therefore, you're going to start getting rid of uh, some of that money by buying non-money assets. And the kind of discussion that was had in this class is the discussion about bonds. Well, if more and more people are buying bonds, if you're trying to go on a bond market to buy a bond, you're going to start buying bond at a higher and higher price like anything else. Like if everyone wants to buy ATVs or wood or whatever else, it's going to drive up the price. So as everyone's trying to buy bonds, it's going to drive up the price of bonds. And we know that, let's say, bonds, I bought a bond at $900, which will give me a 1000 in a few years' time. Well, if you want to buy it from me and I sell it to you for more the next day, well, that means that your interest that you gain on that time period is going to be smaller. If I bought it today and then tomorrow you're kind of like you want this non-money asset and you buy it from me at a higher price, I get a little profit from it and your profit, your interest generated on this three years, let's say minus one day time period is going to be less. Therefore, as the price of bonds go up, the implied interest rate on those bonds go down and that's going to drive us towards the equilibrium interest rate. So that's why interest rates cannot be higher than the equilibrium. And the same thing goes when it can't be below, it would be just be the opposite effect. But generally speaking, you just have to keep in mind that interest rates uh, get set to equilibrium just based on supply and demand of the money. And then let's say we start from an equilibrium state. Well, then we could see that whether we shift the money supply to the right, it's gonna to lead to a lower equilibrium interest rate. Or there's also the possibility, as we've mentioned in previous chapters, that the central bank uses the overnight interest rate by lowering the bank rate to have an influence on other interest rates. So it doesn't really matter whether the central bank were to increase the amount of money supply because over time this would lower interest rates or if they fight for interest rates right away and then the money supply adjusts because both of them have to be linked. You cannot have lower interest rates without having an increase in money supply. Um, that gets uh, more complicated to explain just orally, but uh, if you want to learn more about it, feel free to reach out. You'll see more in the videos and also you'll see more and more advanced classes if you do more. But generally speaking, you cannot have uh, interest rates go down without having an increase in money supply or the opposite uh, also true so regardless if the bank of canada decides to increase the money supply or decides to drop interest rates the end impact will be the same so when you see this and that's why a monetary policy which we often refer to as changes in interest rates has the monetary word in it because it deals with money and if we think well why don't we just increase the amount of money supply and it could be something that the, the central bank would do, but there's a lot of reasons why that's not the case. Because at the end of the day, what monetary policy does and an expansionary monetary policy does in times of recession is try to stimulate uh, consumption and investment through lower interest rates. But also, we're going to see it's going to have an influence on uh, net exports as well. But let's just think of that first aspect. To have an influence on consumption investment through lower interest rates, well, you want interest rates to fall. But if you were to start this process by increasing the amount of money supply, uh, it might take a little bit more time for interest rates to adjust afterwards than if you just 
go straight to lowering interest rates right away. And at the same time, what you want to make sure is that most people in the community have not taken extensive economics courses before, so they might not see the link. If Justin Trudeau or any leader were to say, we're going to increase money supply by $100 billion, what would that mean to you? What would that mean to anyone else that hasn't done any economics courses? They did try to, to figure out what's going on, whether it's a good thing, a bad thing, not very clear. But if the, the Bank of Canada uh, makes a statement, uh, we're going to lower the bank rate from 2 to 1.5%. And then you read in the news that that's going to also have an impact on your mortgage and other interest rates out there. Well, that's very tangible. That is very clear to see from a consumption perspective or from an investor's perspective, because there is so little people that manage to make big purchases, whether for themselves or for their business, without needing a loan. So if you see that all interest rates are going down, it's going to influence you to spend more, which is what expansionary monetary policy wants. So that with that we understand the mechanism. So what's the end impact? Well, what's the transmission mechanism, we could say? Well, Typically, it starts with, for expansionary things, uh, an increase in money supply or a drop in interest rates. Typically, starts with a drop in interest rates. That's going to stimulate investment. Could also stimulate consumption. But investment's the big one that we're looking at for here. And then, what else can happen? Well, we know that as interest rates go down, if we go back to uh, our loanable funds analysis in an open economy, we know that if the domestic interest rate go down, so don't necessarily ask yourself why, but let's say that equilibrium was a little bit lower, you would see that it would be lower relative to um, the world interest rate, which would mean that less people from afar would want to buy treasury bills and other financial instruments in Canada, and most Canadians would want to start buying foreign treasury bills and everything else. And as these flows happen, we would have a situation where the exchange rate or the value of the Canadian currency will fall. As more foreigners are buying less of our goods and we're buying more of theirs, it's going to uh, lead to our exchange rate to fall, which is an increase in net capital outflow. And if our exchange rate loses value, well, what happens as well, if we just want to look at from the other aspect, well, we know that if our exchange rate is lower and the price of the goods in nominal terms are the same in both countries, well, all of a sudden, our wood and everything else that we export suddenly feels cheaper for foreigners to buy because our currency is worth less so they could get more for each of their own currency, more of our currency, and for the price of those goods that we sell or export hasn't changed, it is now relatively cheaper. Therefore, our exports would rise and for the same reason, foreign goods being more expensive all of a sudden, our imports would fall, which would lead to an increase in net exports. So there's the interest rate channel and there's the exchange rate channel. If I put them together, drop an interest rate, which is an expansionary monetary policy, which serves to expand the economy to make it grow when we are in a recession, will help the economy or GDP by increasing investment through the interest rate channel, also increasing consumption to some extent because that car or 
that computer that you want to buy and that you have to get a loan on is suddenly cheaper but it will also stimulate the economy through an increase in that exports and the exchange rate channel so that's the big idea here with regards to monetary policy the tricky thing with monetary policy is that changes in interest rates even though they'll have an impact on uh, consumption investment and net exports at some point a lot of economists say that the impact uh, happens on all of those purchases are within six to 12 months, more or less, like close to a year's time it takes to have an impact. Because if you think of a business who's deciding on its uh, large scale purchases uh, to grow the business, well, if they see the interest rate drop, they won't all of a sudden buy a large printing press or a large machine. Like they'll take time, they'll, they'll see that it's lower, They'll analyze it and they'll think, oh shit, this is really a good idea that uh, we should buy this piece of equipment. And same thing for yourself. If you see interest rates go down and then you're thinking, wow, that loan, that lease uh, that I'll have to pay on this new car is so much cheaper. Uh, I think I'm going to make a move. Well, that's going to take time. And also when we talk about drops in the bank rate, it always leads to a drop in other interest rates in the economy, but there is a certain lag involved in that as well. So the big thing with monetary policy is that it takes time to have an impact on uh, purchases, even though it's very quick to implement. Like the central bank meets every eight times per year, so every month and a half. And sometimes if there's a, an issue like there was in the pandemic, they could actually meet in between those designated time periods to change the interest rate. So at the very most, we'll have to wait a month and a half to, to have an impact to change the interest rate. But then the actual impact on purchases is comes with a certain delay, which we'll see is not the case when we talk about fiscal policy. And then the big thing, the big goal behind the Bank of Canada, if you remember from a few chapters ago, the big goal of the Bank of Canada is to keep interest rates uh, in a certain way to keep inflation rates stable with that one to 3% target. So once again, I've asked this question on exams in the past, there's an inflation rate target, and then there's interest rates, which could be managed with a, an upper and lower band, but one helps to have an impact on the other, but their main goal of the Bank of Canada is to keep the inflation rate in a certain target, one to 3% range, and 2% is the actual target. That's been since the mid-1990s, and it might change in the future. It doesn't mean it will be like this forever, but they typically keep this target for five-year terms, and then they choose to either maintain it or revise it, and since the mid-1990s to 25-plus years after that, that's still been the target. So <clears throat> that is their main goal. So keeping that in mind... They have to know whether this expansionary monetary policy will have an impact on inflation or not. And typically when there's a recession, prices will have a tendency to fall. So for them to expand the economy, which will have an up, push an upward pressure on prices, would be okay because they want to maintain that target of 1% to 3%. The problem is that the actual impact on inflation comes even later comes in one to two years time after the policy change 
So they have to look at their crystal balls and just try to figure out, well, what's this uh, policy going to have as impact on inflation in the future and try to figure that out and uh, and see when they should start kind of slowing down the economy. Just. So we're going through a recession. They'll drop interest rates, try to stimulate the economy. But at some point, the economy is going to start picking up and they're going to have to make sure to start increasing interest rates back up. Otherwise, we're going to have this economy that's going to start overheating and might create bubbles. And it's going to bubbles. It's just a rapid increase in prices that's not really warranted. So you have this situation that they have to simulate the economy to avoid deflation or like uh, recessions. But when it starts coming back, they want to make sure that it doesn't overheat. They want to keep their inflation rates on target. So every time that they feel that uh, we're going to have a lot of inflation, they're going to start contracting the economy. By contracting, they're going to increase interest rates. And every time they feel that prices are falling, they'll do the opposite. So it's just something to keep in mind. You have to keep in mind how this whole mechanism works. We've explained it. Uh, interest rates change, which have an influence on investment, consumption, net exports. And then if we're in a recession, they'll probably expand the economy. But at the end of the day, their goal is to keep prices stable. It's in line. If we're going through a recession, normally prices are falling, so they want to stimulate the economy. It's very rare that you'll have a situation where we're going through a recession and prices are skyrocketing, but that could be the case. And if that was the case and they wanted to keep that 1% to 3% inflation target, it would be very hard for them to lower interest rates because then it would be creating more inflation than they bargained for. So I hope you guys found this interesting. It's a it's a very applied topic. It's something you see a lot in the news. You'll hear about it if you read the news eight times per year. So every month and a half, you'll see a statement saying whether they kept the Bank of uh, the Bank of Canada rate, the target rate stable, increased it or decreased it, and the implications behind it. So hopefully you enjoyed it. I'll talk to you soon.